up, what up, what up? Welcome to this week's episode of Pals Pod, New Orleans Network podcast. Oh, as always, I'm your host, Raphael Rattler, joined by the special guest, the voice of the Pelicans, Todd Refini. How you doing today? What's up, Raphael? How you doing, man? I can't complain. I can't complain. We got some finals basketball on tonight. Uh, some summer league coming in a couple weeks. Draft next week. Um, a lot of momentum building, uh, a ton of momentum building. My brother's having some technicalities right now, but uh, he'll hop on in a second. What we're talking about before we jump into Pelican stuff, uh, what do you think about these finals? I mean, you know, look, I I, I thought about a month ago that Boston was going to win it all. I, I just mm-hmm. think they're the most complete team. And, you know, it, it's it's been interesting because if you look back at, the four games so far, there's been one stretch, one quarter that's really been the difference in all four of these games. And you could you could make an argument that Golden State could be up 3-1 right now. You could definitely make an argument that the Celtics should be up three games to one right now. So I think it's exactly where it should be. I'd be shocked if this did not go seven because both teams have shown the ability throughout that they can win on the opponent's floor. And that that's you know that that's a rare thing in in this day and age when you can go into I mean those are two of the most hostile environments that you can go into and I've been in Golden State's new arena and it's pretty awesome and you know that we had a chance to play there earlier this year with Steph because the first couple of years we went in there when it was a brand new building Steph was hurt he was not playing mm-hmm. so uh, to see them now full strength and to see that crowd back into it the way they are because they're so used to finals and championships uh and now the arena being in san francisco and now in boston of course one of the great basketball towns in america uh their first final since 2010 um that building is as loud as it gets i I know that personal experience and it's just but again both teams have gone into the other building and won so that's the old saying is playoff series don't start until the road team wins. Well, we've had it twice now. So uh, we'll see what happens. Because Golden State's got two of the next three at home. So right. can they can they hold home court advantage? Sure. I still think I mean, Boston's going to win. Uh, I, I think so, too. I just think that they're the more physical team. I think they're the more athletically dominant team as well. Um, I think Steph is going to really have to win it with his shooting, which right. – you never have, you haven't really seen a ton of that over the history where a guy is throwing up 40, 45, all off three point shots every game. Like you've seen LeBron do it in the past, Giannis do it, but he's got a lot of high percentage close to the rim. Steph's kind of mixing it up, right? So you this is this is like a to me, even though Steph for everything he's accomplished so far, if he's able to pull this series off, this is like a legacy statement, right? I, I look, I agree because if you look go back even to game three. There is no way in the world Golden State should have even have been in that game. Boston dominated that game, and mm-hmm. Golden State was able to have that great third quarter and actually take a one-point lead before Boston kind of established itself again and, and pulled away in the fourth quarter. But, you know, what they had a seven – remember that seven-point possession that Golden State had? <laughs> right, right. And Steph had the four-point play, and then they, and mm-hmm. they get it back on the flagrant and hit the three, right. and all of a sudden a game that was – all Boston turned just like that. So mm-hmm. again, I think it's a it's a complete contrast in styles um, with Boston's physicality and the and the three point shooting uh, of of Golden State. But again, I just I just think the physicality is eventually going to win out. But we'll see. I mean, who knows? This is a big game tonight. 
Real right. big game tonight. Absolutely. I, I expect to give it up because he knows the severity of, of – especially without getting help from his supporting cast right now, he knows how, how big this game is. So uh, before we get into things, again, I appreciate everyone following us um, thus far. Remember to follow us on Twitter uh, at Pels Pod. Follow us on IG uh, at Pelicans Podcast. Like the episode below, and most importantly, subscribe to New Orleans Lab Network. Now – if you guys, for some reason, you know, got your head underneath the rock and you don't know who the man uh, on this show is, um, it's the person that calls every single Pelicans game, right? So if you are in one of those areas, which we've got to, we got to talk about the access to games for people in Louisiana and the surrounding areas. Like it's right now, it's too tough to catch a Pelicans game. But if you can't watch it, you definitely need to listen. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about what your day to day looks like. Tell us a little bit about um, what it's like calling the game for this team. Well, you know, I just finished my third year, okay. and not mm-hmm. all of them have been normal. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. It, it is. Uh, this is actually the first pretty normal offseason that I've experienced. Uh, the first year was Zion and and uh, Jackson and Nikhil. It was their rookie year. And, of course, Zion was hurt coming out of training camp. So all the expectations that we had going into – training camp that just kind of went away because we never saw Zion healthy until January 22nd mm-hmm. uh, of that year. So that year started slowly. Coach Alvin Gentry was the coach who just really got put in a bad position record-wise. And then, you know, when you finally got everybody back, March 11, 2020 <laughs> hit and everything stopped. Mm-hmm. And then you then you get the bubble and, you know, you're calling game. I wasn't you know, no no media was allowed in the bubble. So then you're Mm -hmm. calling games on a television uh, from the (laughs) Smoothie King side. You got it because you got the empty Smoothie King side. Correct. There was 18,000 seats and you could, (laughs) you could, you know, scream echo, echo. It was in a a dark arena. So that, you know, that's that. And then the next year, since everything had got pushed back, the season was reduced to 72 games. Mm -hmm. And so we really haven't been on schedule and the season ended late last year. Because it started late last year, the season started uh, about Christmas time, so that year went late. Now you try to get back to normal. My third year, and then you had to deal with a lot of COVID issues. And you know, me myself personally, I tested positive the day after Christmas in Oklahoma City. Um, had to drive home. Uh, was not allowed to be around a team. I missed five games, even though I felt could have done it. Um, but I was out days and then, you know, we come back and obviously the year had started out slowly. You're three and 16 or not again. And here we go. What are we going to do? And then it just all turned the last couple months of the season. And I tell you the, the, the first two and a half years, even though it was just a complete and utter roller coaster with a lot of disappointment, um, the last two months this year made up for all of it because <laughs> now if you think about it, gents, we're, we're going into an off season with so much expectation and so much promise and so much momentum. It's hard to believe where we were, even, even as late as January this year, you, you just had no idea what was going to transpire and that's how quickly it turned around. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, after experiencing all those different types of, uh, of of seasons, obviously none of them under normal circumstances, what about this season was something that really stood out to you that 
hey, this team can actually be something. Like my brother and I talked all season long. It's a really good team disguised as a bad team that's really injured. Like mm, that's that, what we talked about. I, I would I would think that's pretty accurate. You know, it just it was so difficult in the beginning because if you think about it, Brandon Ingram was really the only true offensive option very early in this. I'm talking, you know, the first few weeks of the year. I mean, we're talking late October, November, and he got hurt. I, I mean, almost right off the bat. And with Brandon Ingram was not in the lineup, it was really, really difficult to score the basketball just because we did not have the guy that you could count on to score 25 points a night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Brandon Ingram is. You know he's going to put 25 up. And when you take that out of the lineup, of course, I'm not even talking about Zion where you know that he was going to score 25, but he wasn't even – an option at that time because you know he wasn't going to play for the foreseeable future. You were hoping he was going to come back in December, but that early in the season, you knew he wasn't going to be out there. So mm-hmm. you had 50 points a night that was not available to you that early yep. in the season. And just look, it was tough. It was tough sledding, but to Willie Green's credit, he kept it together. Um, and I've said this often, and my colleagues have said this often, but we're very fortunate to be able to go to practice on a day in and day out basis. And we would walk into that gym at the Ashton sports performance center every day, be it for practice or a shoot around. And you could not tell what the record was guys. I mean, you'd have thought we were undefeated sometimes it it was, (laughs) but that's just the mentality that Willie green and his staff had. They were not going to allow any type of, you know, shoulder slump Mm -hmm. to seep in. They, they just had to press forward, and after, even after losses, we'd listen to Willie Green on the podium. He goes, we're not going to allow this to get to us. We're going to turn this around. You know, you know, we'd lose a close game. You know, later on in the year, we're going to win those games. And sure as, you know, you know what, gents, I mean, it <laughs> it all came true, what he said. I mean, he did, he did not waver. He stayed the course, and it ultimately paid off in the long run, and now, you know, Sky's the limit for the next, you know, few years in the in the very near future, obviously. Right, right. Grab. Let me let me let me let me ask you this. You talk about Willie Green, and you talk about uh, you know, the things that he's done and the way he keeps this this, you know, this team together in, in times, um, you know, in bad times and all. So you've seen, like you say, you've seen three coaches back to back to back. Um and, and three in the three years you've been here, just like Zion. You see three coaches, he's right. three coaches. Now, so talk a little bit about like the difference in the team in those three years, right? In, in under those three, uh, those three coaches. You know, obviously Stan had a very different. Uh, Stan Van Gundy had a very different way of coaching and handling things, which was different from Alvin Gentry, which is obviously different uh, from what we've seen from Willie Green. So you've been around the team. Obviously, the the, the COVID years they've been away from you a, a little bit, but you you've been around the team and seen uh, the, them under the three coaches. Talk about them under each. Three. What have you seen this year from Willie Green that has been different uh, from the last two? I just think, and look, not saying that the players didn't respect the other two coaches. I just think the fact that Willie Green recently has been a player in the NBA, I think mm-hmm. that speaks volumes as to what these guys are are listening to. When he's saying something, he knows or they know that he has been in their shoes pretty recently, if you think mm-hmm. about it. I mean, look, Willie Green and Chris Paul were teammates in New Orleans. Yeah. I, I mean – you know, it's 
in years, yeah, but it really wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Willie Green's only been out of the league, I want to say five, six years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what he says has to resonate. Look, Alvin Gentry's been in the league a very, very long time, and he's won a lot of games. Um, I mean, but that was a totally different team that that first year. I mean, think about it. You had Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday, and, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it, it, it was just – it seems so – so long ago, <laughs> you know, it was only a couple of years ago, but again, it was just bad luck that Zion got hurt early on last year was just so strange because it, it's funny. I never met Stan Van Gundy personally. We were not really? allowed. Oh, as wow. media, as the TV people, yeah. the radio people, we were not allowed to be anywhere near the mm. players. So, we were not able to go to practice. Um, and every game, we did not travel with the team. So when we played home games, yeah, but we were always up where we do the radio and, and the players were down in the on the court. We were never even allowed on the floor. And every wow. interview that I ever did with Stan Van Gundy was via Zoom. Wow. Uh, and the first time we played Phoenix this year, way back in November when we were – about to go one in 12. We were actually in the middle of the nine game losing streak that put us at one in 12. They, we played Phoenix on a Thursday night on TNT and Stan Van Gundy was the analyst. And <laughs> we actually crossed paths. He was walking out of the TNT room and I was coming out of the, uh, the room where we were going to talk to Willie green. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, coach, Todd Graffanini, nice to <laughs> Wow. Like, literally, we had never, ever met personally. And that was wow. the head coach. Yeah, so no kidding. It was, a, it was a weird, weird year, um, yeah. to say the least. So, uh, and again, I wasn't able to see how Stan Van Gundy conducted mm-hmm. a practice. We just right. were not mm-hmm. allowed in. So, right. it, it's just been right. a lot different this year. And again, I think the thing about Willie Green that really resonates is, he really doesn't talk a whole lot during practice, but when he does, you know he is making a, a major point. Mm-hmm. I think he allows his assistants to do their jobs. Jaron Collins and and Casey Hill and, and Fred Vinson, they do a really, really good job. Uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, uh, they do a fantastic job working along with Willie. He's not afraid uh, to allow other opinions as to what needs to be done, but I'm telling you, if he has a point to make, he will make it. And he's not afraid to, you know, bring a guy in. Look, he went to Devontae Graham's house. Uh, if you think about it earlier in the year and said, Devontae, this is what we need you to do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we called Brandon Ingram into his office, said, this is what we need you to do. I want you to be the best version of yourself. So uh, I, I just think the respect level uh, from the players has just been something that, again, in my early time in the NBA, I have not seen yet. Sure. Uh, and, and you get those same type of vibes, right? Just being near the team, being around the team, hearing the team and pressers and things like that. They have so much respect for their coach um, and so much admiration. My brother and I talked about it before the season. There's a difference between a coach you respect than a coach you play for. And Willie Green seems like the type that these guys would run through the wall for, right? Uh, um, no question. No question. Um, so you brought up something uh, right there that obviously has been a hot topic of debate. You know, Zion missed the entire year. That's extremely rare. Um, thought that he was going to be there for game one. Didn't end up playing a game this season. But he's still been the talk of the town. And every 
conversation, every debate on ESPN, whatever it may be. But most recently, you've seen him come out publicly. You've seen him come out and state over and over that, hey, I've told you guys all throughout the year that this is the place I want to be in. This is the team I want to be a part of. This is the city I want to support. From your interactions with him, obviously you have a, a a closer eye on it. You get to see how he is with the team and things like that. Has it always been this story where, hey, he's bought in. It's just he's a quiet guy. He's not coming out on the media and talking about things, things like that. Or is it more so, hey, I'm getting my ducks in a row because my contract talk is in a couple of weeks? Uh, no, I don't think it has anything to do with that. Look, he's a great kid. And he is a kid still. I mean, to me, look, I'm fi- I'm about to be 53 years old. And I shouldn't call, you know, 21-year-old kids, but he's 21 years old, uh, about to be 22. But, you know, since he came in, when when I met them three years ago, and it, when, I mean, you think about it, Zion and Jackson and Nikhil Alexander-Walker were inseparable when they got yeah. to New Orleans. I mean, they did everything together. They were at Tulane football games. They were at LSU football games. You know, they 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 just hung around each other all the time. Um But I I just think that it's just been really hard on him because he is a basketball player and he just has not been able to play basketball the way that he knows that he can play just because he's been hurt. And that's just an unfortunate thing. It's it's nothing that he's done on purpose, obviously. It's just injuries. I mean, that's part of it. Um, it, He's always smiling. He's interacts with his teammates. You know, when when we see him at practice – he wanted to be out there badly, guys, at the end of the year. You could tell, but, I mean, you know, they were not going to clear. They want him to be 100% going into the offseason. He finally got cleared to do everything that he's supposed to be doing. At the end of the year, he was doing those controlled scrimmages, which we were watching. But, you know, the daily interaction, you would see if you were in the, that building and watch him interact with his teammates and the coaches, it, you would know that he is just – He's he's all smiles and there's there's no really negatives to him. It's just people don't get to see that. And he hasn't been he has not talked to the media. And I think, too, you've also seen in the last couple of weeks, especially after the season ended, when he did his final press conference. And then even yesterday when when he held his camp um, that he's going I think he's going to interact with the media a little bit more. And I Guys, I really think that has a lot to do with the influence of one C.J. McCollum. That's just my personal opinion, um, but I think C.J. McCollum being on his team is going to reap dividends that you would never have dreamed of uh, before that trade was made. Right. Right. Uh, That's something that, you know, my brother and I have talked Mm -hmm. about to acknowledge him. I I think Zion's health, obviously everyone acknowledges that that's probably the most important token that the Pelicans need moving forward. But acquiring a guy like CJ with his stature, his respect, both on the court and off the court to help mentor a very, very, very young roster. Like, I don't, I don't know if there's a value you can put on that, right? Like that, that does so much Um, again, both on the court and off the court. We, we know CJ can play. Okay. As my partner, John DeShazer said in the day, first day we saw him certified bucket getter, CBG. (laughs) Um, and it was true. I mean, the guy was putting up 30 points every night when he Mm -hmm. came to New Orleans. And, you know, people forget that when that trade went down, we lost the first four games because we just – he was figuring us out and we were figuring him out and just you didn't know how it was all going to mesh. And then, obviously, Mm -hmm. when when Brandon came back and those two started playing off of each other, 
we saw, you know, the capabilities of what this team could be. I mean, that stretch right after the all-star break was some of the best basketball that I've seen our team play since mm-hmm. I've been here in three years. We won the first four. Oh, did we lose him? Happened in the history of the NBA. So, um, you know, I think, I think that was just a little glimpse. And then when you add Zion to the mix next year, yeah, you know, that that's as, as I like to say, that's a them problem with the league <laughs> because right. uh, it, it's going to be very difficult to stop this team when you're talking about the inside outside game that we're going to have. Yeah. So look, just while we while we on the, the concept of uh, CJ, let's let's talk a little bit, man. You you're in the media. How, how, how's he been doing in the media team, man? How's he how's, how's his TV spots been going, right? He's he's a pro, man. He's just he is the pros pro. That's yeah. about as that's about as high a compliment as I can give. You know, when when he when he and JJ Reddick start teaming up on Stephen A. Smith, <laughs> I mean, you just got to start laughing. I mean, I I just. I don't want to get started on national right. media. I mean, that's 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 just enough. You know, we got to deal with enough in New Orleans, and it's just it mm-hmm. gets overwhelming at times. And even today, I mean, some somebody put out a tweet about Zion wants to be in New Orleans, like like uh, Donovan Mitchell wants to be in Utah. It's like, when is this ever going to stop? And people wonder why we're you know we're holding up, we're putting out T-shirts during playoff games, New Orleans versus Airbody. I mean, right. you know what I'm saying? It's true. I mean, it's, it's it's why do we continually have to defend ourselves night in and night out that we can't have superstars uh, in this town? It certainly worked in football. I don't know why in the world it can't work for basketball. And I think the country saw, you know, really in those six games versus the Phoenix Suns that, you know, we can get it done in this town and we just need consistency. And I think the last couple of months is really kind of the – the beginning of what could be a very long run because this front office, David Griffin and Trajan Langdon and Swing Cash, they have preached from the get-go family. They preached, you know, highly competitive individuals and they preached just, you know, stay in the course, get these guys, these high character guys in their family atmosphere and boom, here we go. It took a little while to get to where I think Griff wanted it. And obviously look, it wasn't like we won 70 games this year. We were 10 games under 500. There was a there's a lot of room for improvement, but to get that taste of meaningful basketball and I'm telling you we're going to I I'm getting chills thinking about it. But that game in LA against the Clippers, that play-in game is we're going to look back on that one day as really like the uh, almost I don't want to put it quite on the same level because the circumstances were different. But if you think about the Gleason game in 06, when people just completely turned New Orleans Saints, mm-hmm. I mean, boom. Mm-hmm. Since that night in the Dome, mm-hmm. the city of New Orleans, since that night in 2000, since September 2006, has just completely flipped. And the Saints have had unprecedented success since then. Mm-hmm. I, I just think, again, not because of the circumstances, but the fact that after that night, if you weren't on the Pell's bandwagon, and it's okay, I, I if you want to continue to jump on, I'm all about it. But anybody who watched that game in L.A., and I know everybody stayed up late that night to watch uh, that fourth quarter when in – that, in the third quarter when literally the season was disintegrating before our eyes, uh, and then Willie Green gives the speech that will go down in lore mm-hmm. uh, and to come back and win the game – 
It's just, it's incredible. And the, the reason why that game was so big, guys, is because that puts you on the map where you played the Phoenix Suns and everybody had to watch the New Orleans Pelicans, at least for however many games we were going to play. Everybody thought, hey, we're going to, we're going to get swept four games and that's going to be it. And then the win in game two and then win game four. And for this thing to go six and have three home playoff games, the city of New Orleans totally bought in. And that's why, again, you can go back. The San Antonio playing game was great. It was a sold-out Smoothie King Center. But winning that game on the road in L.A. really was the one. And that, to me, is that to me was the biggest win. I mean, look, I know they won a playoff series uh, with AD a few years ago. But when you're talking about the future of this franchise, that play-in game against the Clippers might be the biggest one of all. Yeah, and, and I think something to highlight in there was the atmosphere. I've seen right. several people, uh, both national media, local media, say that it felt like a Superdome game. Like it Correct. felt like you were in there. You got the same people that go across the street that packed the, the Smoothie King Center. I want to no, talk to you a little bit about that. I, like that was no, that was special, right? It was, and I, I always go back and I think about it in Game Six, which of course it took. Chris Paul's out-of-body experience to win that game, or we go back to Phoenix for a Game 7, and who knows what happened. I think of what Dallas did in Game 7 in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never know what, what right. would have happened. But I just think of Josh Hart, who actually came back to New Orleans and was in the building for Game 6, sitting you know, courtside near his ex-teammates going, you got to be <laughs> kidding me, man. <laughs> And the three years I was here, I didn't see anything, yeah. anything came out like that on Twitter too. Mm-hmm. I, no, so I mean, I, you know, it just, you know, you had to give up something to get something. And I just, yeah. I, I just have so much respect for Josh. You know, you just kind of wish that he would have been along for the ride because mm-hmm. remember when he came in originally in, in the in the AD trade, he bought into the city of New Orleans right away. I mean, right away. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of aspects, Josh was a big part of what happened this year because remember when Brandon was hurt, Josh was Josh was playing every mm-hmm. night and he was keeping things together as best he could. And before he left, I mean he was having the best year of his NBA career. And mm-hmm. then when he went to Portland, I mean the guy's scoring 40 points a game. So <laughs> you know it, it was just good to see. But I, I always go back to Josh Hart in game six looking around going, this this I ain't never seen anything like this here. Yeah. So it's but that that kind of summed up what we saw in those not just the play-in game and the three play- playoff games. Right. And, right. and Griff, Griff talked to, you know, you, you you alluded to it as well. Griff talked to the types of guys that they bring in. They've got a ton, half the rosters from the southeast part of the country, right? And so you've got right. a lot of guys that are built in the south, and that's a little bit different from everywhere else in the and, country. And remember, too, just kind of shows you what it was all about the day of the trade. Josh and Nikhil came back and right. sat courtside. Right. Have yeah. you ever seen it? Like Nobody's like, ever was, seen it. Nobody's yeah. ever seen it. It's that never was, happened. That was tough. That it's was never, that was ever, tough ever, ever, ever happened. But that, <laughs> just showed, but that just shows you what Willie Green means to those players and the organization mm-hmm. and the teammates that those guys were playing with. So uh, that was it. That was it in a nutshell right there. To see those guys courtside that night uh, against Houston was was incredible. was incredible. 
Yeah. So so look, Grav, let's talk a little bit about some of the guys that's uh other guys that's on the roster, right? Yep. Uh, we've seen yep. a lot of a lot of growth from from rookies. Uh we're talking um uh Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones and his and right. his tremendous impact this season, uh, uh and, and Trey Murphy as well. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about those those young guys and their development, uh some of the things that they went through this season. You saw like from Trey Murphy having to find his way and Herb being thrust into the starting lineup um and just has it turned turned his way back. And then obviously Jose's um ascension to this what we see basically a a, a glue guy stardom obviously right so some type like that so just talk about those young guys and their development and some of the things they went through this season well Raphael and I were talking before we, we really started the stream and I mean you think about you know what what Griff and, and Trajan did with the draft picks I mean you hit on three and they all played meaningful just had to have minutes down the stretch of this season and in the playoffs, you just, you don't see three rookies finishing games. And we got to the point that they were finishing games, Mm -hmm. must win games. Mm -hmm. Uh, These guys were on the floor. So, you know, that is a, you know, borrow the baseball term. That is a grand slam when you're talking (laughs) about the draft class last year, but each guy had to find their own way. I mean, if you start, you start with her, who was the 35th pick in the draft, second round, who was the SEC player, the SEC defensive player of the year, um, but couldn't shoot a lick in college. And, you know, we, we did a podcast with, with the radio voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Chris Stewart, very early in the season when Herb was really starting to, to blossom a little bit. And I said, Chris, if I'd have told you, you know, two months into Herb Jones's career, he would be an 85% free throw shooter and a 38% three point shooter. What would you have believed me? He said, not only no graph, hell no, <laughs> but, but Herb turned him, made himself through his hard work with Fred Vincent getting the shot together. He turned himself into that. He could already play defense, mm-hmm. you know, second game of the regular season. We're up in Chicago and we're playing the bulls who were fully healthy back then. I mean, when they had their, entire compliment and they were really really good at the beginning of the mm-hmm. season matter yeah, of fact yeah. Lonzo Lonzo Ball had a triple double in that game mm-hmm. and it really wasn't that close well Willie Green put Herb Jones in his second NBA game in the starting lineup and said hey Herb see that guy his name's Zach <laughs> Levine go, go guard him yeah. but that's the respect that Willie Green and the and the belief that Willie Green had in Herb Jones to to try and guard a guy like that. Now Herb got baptized quickly uh, into the NBA, but night after night after night, Herb Jones was on the opposing team's best score. Didn't matter who it was. Didn't matter what team it was. He was on their best score at some point during the game. And Herb, you know, we find out when it's all said and done, Herb was available. Herb, I want to say only missed three games this year. Yeah, He was, he was there every single night. And you had to have him on the court. You had to have him on the court. So that's Herb. Trey, first pick, first round pick. His his path went a little bit differently. Um, he really had a tremendous summer. Uh, we saw right away that he could shoot the lights out. He had a great preseason last year. But when the when the regular season started, I think the word got out on him that if he came in, look, all this guy's going to do is shoot. So they're going to have to, you know, you're going to defend them a certain way. And he struggled for a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't as easy as it come to him 
in the summer and in the preseason. So it took him a little bit to get going. They sent him to Birmingham. They wanted him to play. You know, he wasn't he wasn't playing enough where he was able to get into a rhythm night in and night out. So he went down to the G League. He did not pout. He just got better. And he played well enough in the G League when they brought him back up. Then they started to put him in the lineup. The confidence was back again, like he heard early on. And you go back what I was talking about earlier, that Clipper game, the two biggest shots that were made in the play in, in the Clipper playing game were hit by Trey Murphy. I mean, if he doesn't make those two threes, yep. who knows what happens? So you had him finishing huge games and then Alvarado, that's just <laughs> that's just a whole nother deal, man. I mean, two-way player, happy to be there. Um, and this is a kid who, again, was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. People forget that. His calling card was defense. Not that big, but the guy's got the heart of a lion, and he's going to get in your grill. He's not going to be intimidated. Uh, I, I still wish I had that shot of him writing Embiid's, well, <laughs> in Philly when he was actually he – was, he was staring into his belly button. But still, I mean, he didn't – wasn't, wasn't exactly eye to eye. <laughs> no, it was eye to belly button. But still, you know, Embiid was so impressed by what Alvarado did that he paid his fine for the technical mm-hmm. after the game. Right. Um, and, again, that's in December. <clears throat> um, or actually, that was the the next game which we weren't supposed to play, and that was right. the, oh, the yeah, Philly. Oh, yeah. Don't don't even oh, get me started yeah. on that. <laughs> that was that was a little later in January, but still. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Alvarado Jose making the most of his opportunity because Kyra Lewis Jr. was starting to figure it out, guys at, at the at the backup point position, mm-hmm. and if he does not get hurt, Jose Alvarado might not see the court at all mm-hmm. this year. This was a two way player. That was going to go to Birmingham, and Kyra Lewis's injury really gave Jose the opportunity that he was going to play minutes. And as we've talked about constantly, Jose did so well and was so essential to what the Pelicans were doing down the stretch that they had to sign him to a mm-hmm. regular NBA contract because two-way players are not allowed on NBA rosters in the playoffs. In the playoffs, yep. Yeah. I mean yeah. – what more can you say? And <laughs> they're chanting the guy's name in the Smoothie King Center. I, I mean, you can't write that. Hollywood would have kicked that out. If you would have brought it in for a script, they they never would have accepted it. So. Yeah, they, they they could have put Jose in, in the Hustle uh, movie with, uh, with Adam Sandler. I mean, they could have threw Jose in there. But yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Man. So, yeah. I mean, uh, you, I mean yeah. You Not bad the- for a rookie class. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you look at that rookie class, but then to your point, you know, we're not even talking about Kyra, who Kyra is younger than most of them, right? right like yeah. he he was, to your point, he was just figuring it out and injury came at the worst time. And so it'll be interesting to see how he mixes in this summer. Yeah. He competes to get back in the rotation and things like that. Great. And then, you yeah, know, no. a, a player we haven't talked about, Jackson Hayes, right? Yeah. Um, well, him, he, they did, they moved him to the four, and I think it yeah. opened it opened things up for him. Yeah. And he was able to use what cannot be taught. Right. I mean, Jackson just is a freak of nature. He's just you you can't teach what he's got. He's got length. He's got size. He's got speed. He's got agility. He's got it all. Mm-hmm. He's just got to harness it. And we've seen we've seen glimpses where he was in unstoppable. I mean, a game up in Denver. Where he scored 20, 20 points and did not miss right. from the floor. He was perfect. 
I mean, he was making – he made a three. He was making mid-ranges. He was dunking. He's blocking shots. He's, you know, running the floor. Um, you know, those are the things that you know is there for Jackson. He's just got to be consistent. That's all it is for him. But moving him to the four just kind of opened up a, a lot for him. And it's just, you know, we're going to see – you know, when we come back for training camp, and I know guys are starting to filter in, and Jackson's been in the in the gym okay. uh, in the last week, week and a half as well. Uh, you're just going to see what these guys are working on in the offseason because it's it's always evolving. Again, Jackson's mm-hmm. still in his rookie contract. He's starting his fourth year next year. So, he's again, this is a young, young guy. He's, you know, he played one year of college. Mm-hmm. So he's 21, 21 years old. We, mm-hmm. We've just got a bunch of young guys that, you know, that are hungry. And I think even though it was disappointing that, you know, we weren't able to to advance against Phoenix, I, I think it couldn't have worked out any better because they got a taste mm-hmm. of what it's like to be yeah. in the postseason and what you need to do night in and night out to be a successful team in the postseason. And they weren't able to advance. But I think that's only going to make them more hungry. Uh, yeah. into this offseason and heading into training camp because they got an idea now what it takes. Yeah, I, I've been I've been telling my brother, and this is something we talked about uh, a, a lot. I, I, I've always mm-hmm. said that this season, you know, for a team that wasn't expected to win the championship, this is about as best of a, like, outcome you could have, right? You had a team that, you know, that grew without, the you know, Zion being the, the superstar franchise player that he is. Um, you had a team that grew without them. You had a team that hit on the draft picks. You you found the coach, and then you also were able to get those experience, uh, get that experience, and get that that the, those games that you talk about, those minutes that are so valuable uh, for young players to de- to develop um, and, and things like that. And so it's going to be very interesting. And I think, Rav, we can we could kind of go into that. Um, so so now that you you talk about last season and you talk about the atmosphere that that the city of New Orleans kind of put in front uh, in front of the playoffs and everything. You talk about going into a, a new year with expectations. So, grab what 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 are some some realistic expectations going into this this se- this next season? If you if you think about the core that's there uh, with the, with Zion coming in in a new offseason, uh, hopefully a, a healthy <laughs> full offseason uh, workout with with Willie Green and his system and everybody getting um, you know kind of comfortable with each other. What are some realistic expectations going into with this with this team? I don't think that I'm speaking out of school at all, and I, I would think and hope that all all the Pelicans personnel that might be watching this. Uh, at some point would agree with me highly. I, I think uh, I, top six should be minimum. You, you can't worry about, you can't be in the play in anymore. I, right. You know, that, that was all fine and dandy. And I know it was there, you know, and we were, we were able to earn that spot. I mean, you think about it, you know, we had to win two games to get in the playoffs, not just mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. but that's, that's too stressful, man. That's, <laughs> You know, that's a one and done. But that those two games helped also against the Suns because that's something that doesn't happen in the NBA unless you're in a game seven. Mm-hmm. You're the winner, you're out. That doesn't yeah, happen. Right. So right. the fact that they were in those positions helped as well. Um, but I, I think top six is, is the goal. If you really want to get into it, top four, so you can – Host, host the playoff series. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, again, I don't think I'm speaking out of school because look, we were a playoff team. You've got 
14 of the 15 roster spots coming back next year. And you're adding Zion Williamson, who obviously is on your team, but it's almost like you're signing a free agent, even though he's already on the team. Absolutely. So the biggest, I think, job for the coaching staff this offseason is to find how Zion's going to integrate with the other guys. Um, and I think that's a problem that Willie Green is very happy to have uh, because. <laughs> yeah, we, go, we call him. Uh, we'll, we'll take 27 and 7 all night, guys, at 60, at 60% from the floor. Right. What we call you can, it. You the, can put that in. You make it work. First, 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 first world problems. That's what we call them. Correct. So, again, that's a them problem. They're, they're going to have to, meaning the NBA, they're going to have to defend, you know, our you guard got. play and bi and I, I don't want to I don't want to let Jonas Valanciunas go unnoticed because that man is a double double machine and to see what that guy did on a night in and night out basis take the beating mm-hmm. and the physical pounding that he had to endure each and every night and the man just kept coming and coming and coming every night he is a warrior he plays hurt. Um, he didn't miss a whole lot of games at all either, even though he was just, just, I mean, constantly, Mm -hmm. constantly being just knocked around, uh, in the paint night. How was that? How was that? Uh, how was it calling that, that, that eight, what what was it? Eight, three point game where he was in LA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He made his, he made his first eight threes and then he missed the last one. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was like, he loves shooting in LA for some reason, but. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but that's the thing, too. And you go back a year ago when Steven Adams was on the team. And this is nothing against Steven Adams, okay? Because his role is perfect in Memphis. Mm-hmm. But the thing about when he was here, there was never a threat of Steven Adams even going beyond the dotted line or the free throw line <laughs> and putting a shot up. Mm-hmm. It was never even an option. What JV brings you is not only is he going to get his rebounds and he's going to get his offensive rebounds, but he's not afraid to step out and make a make a shot, which is going to spread the defense out and open things up even more for when Zion comes back. So, you know, his versatility, I mean, he made more threes this year than he had in his entire career mm-hmm. um, in, in a season. So and he did it very early in the year. He broke his his season high. So. Um, it, it just, and this is another guy in, in Jonas that wanted to be here. You know, mm-hmm. he signed that extension on opening day. I mean, we were at mm-hmm. shoot around before the Philly game when we opened the season. And I remember telling everybody, I said, this is the best news of the day. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen tonight. We're playing an NBA finals type team in the 76ers, but knowing mm-hmm. this guy's going to be on the team this year and next year, it's going to be huge. It's going to be absolutely huge because he is a vet. You know, he can mentor those younger guys. Um, and he's just, he's a really awesome guy. I mean, you look at him too, like, boy, he looks like he, he's just the <laughs> meanest looking dude in the world with the hair and the beard and the whole thing. It couldn't be farther from the truth. This is one of the nicest, funniest, always a smile, joking around guys. And he's just, he's perfect for the locker room. And by the way, he can play a little bit also. Mm-hmm. Right. You you've got a combination of it seems like I gotta give JV love. I gotta give JV love. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and Billy, Billy too. You know, and it's Billy. the same way. Exactly. Exactly. It's 
it's a special locker room. You can tell it even from the outside looking in. Um, to everyone's point, it's going to be a fun task for Willie Green and staff yeah. to figure and, out. And Raphael, points, yeah, positions, you know, and it's not speak. I mean, these guys genuinely do love each other. I mean, you see it every single day. You you do. And again, I'm fortunate I get to see things that the general public does not get to see. Right. But it's not it's not speak. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. It's fact. Uh, mm -hmm. They're they're hanging around each other all the time. I was very fortunate to be uh, to to be asked to some team dinners on the road this year, and with mm -hmm. everybody there, uh, mm -hmm. and it's just it's an awesome thing to be a part of. And again, it's only the beginning. And I think that's why people in New Orleans uh, need to embrace this thing for what it is at the end of last year was just the beginning i mean we we got to be ready for a major ride coming up and uh, you know i just i can't wait till the schedule comes out in august i really can't yeah. i really gonna be, yeah it's gonna be that's gonna be fun just just to kind of i want to i want to give it just a little bit you talk about mm -hmm. the the growth and the camaraderie just speak about uh, a little bit to brandon ingram's development as a leader this season um obviously you've seen this team grow you talk about the camaraderie but he seems to be the guy when you talk about like them genuinely caring about each other right when he reached out to jose during his trip in new york um and and, and things like that just overall taking a late a leadership step you you've seen a little bit more than than we have how how is that 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 process going and how how do you see that going forward into next season i think that's the influence of willie green also i really do i mean brandon just brandon's not much of a talker he really is not he's, i mean very very quiet guy mm -hmm. you know he lets his he lets his talk you know he lets his play speak for himself on on the court mm -hmm. but i think this year you definitely saw him more of a in a leadership role not afraid to to go up to somebody not afraid to you know ask what needs to be done and i think also cj brought a lot of that out of him as well um cj you know very early said Brandon Ingram, you're the man. You know, you need to take control of things. You know, I'm a good player. You're a good player. And you need to show how good of a player that you are. And I think that kind of, kind of, not, I, I, don't, I think relieved is the law is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying? It just kind of mm -hmm. took a little pressure off of B.I. Empowered him. Mm -hmm. Well, correct. And not think, man, I got to score 30 points a right. night. I got it. Because he really, his game was so much better this year when you're talking about the assists. You know, he had he, he had point rebound double-doubles and he had point assist double-doubles this year. Mm -hmm. He had them both. Uh, but his assist total was his career high. Uh, he was rebounding. I mean, he had, he was – I remember he was one assist away from his first career yeah. triple-double. And I, I want to say it was against the Pacers and we were winning by 30 and, and they took everybody out after the third quarter and he would have had his first triple-double. But – you know, he's not a stat guy. He's not. He's He is about making his teammates better. And the great players make their teammates better. And that's what Brandon Ingram did this year. Right. Absolutely. I mean, again, you've got – I think CJ is just such a huge domino because the way that he almost overnight changed the narrative around Zion and, to your point, empowered B.I. to be B.I. because you're going to need that, right? Especially when Zion gets back in the locker room. You still need B.I. to be B.I. Well, and, and I'm not that. trying to interrupt you, but that's another great thing about what happened in the playoffs mm -hmm. because B.I. was B.I. Right. Uh, during that Phoenix Sun series, uh, at least in the first four games when he's averaging 30 points. Right. So we, we saw – you know, people saw on a national level what we had been 
watching really for the last three years. He was a little inconsistent at times in the first couple of years here, but this year, you know, it's kind of a shame that he wasn't able to be an all-star as he was his first year here because uh, there was no question in my mind he was a better player. He was a better overall player this year as opposed to when he was mainly just a scorer in his first year in New Orleans. Right. And if you look at the totality, even defense, he was much Correct. much better defensively, yeah. which that's Willie Green's calling card, right? right. Everyone's got to play defense. And also he knew – he knew Brandon knew going into the offseason that he had to bulk up. He had to get stronger. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I wish I, I wish I had his metabolism. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, there ain't a lot of meat on those bones. But he mm-hmm. tried. He tried to put a little more. And look, it, it was good to see him. And I know he had injury issues this year, um, and he missed a bunch of games. But when it counted down the stretch, he was he was there each and every night. And and you need a guy like that. You know, when you're you're watching these games in the finals and the playoffs as the as the as the playoffs progress, you know, it's a, and Antonio Daniels talks about this all the time. It, it's a star driven league, and you need your stars on the court. If your stars are not playing, you don't have a whole lot of chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's one thing in my <laughs> in my few years in the league that I've really learned the hard way. If you don't have your best players. It's tough. I mean, I go back to, to Golden State where, you know, they didn't have Steph or Clay, mm-hmm. and they were ordinary. I mean, mm-hmm. we were we were going into San Francisco when that building just opened and we're putting whoopings on them, you know? <laughs> well, you have your two best players. It's tough. It's going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. So. No, absolutely. And. Graf, we want to want to get you out of here, but we have one last okay. question for you. So obviously you've got a star-studded starting lineup. Again, right. you got four guys who averaged twenty for a career, and then you got a fifth guy who's coming off a rookie year where he probably should have been second team all de- all defense. So you've got a star starting lineup. Your your second unit is full of young, scrappy guys who, to your point, are looking to bring energy to the game, yeah. um, get the arena, arena on fire. Now you add a Larry Nance, that, which I also think was a great, sneaky signing. No question. Right, right. There, um, to- there are there are no playoffs, folks. Everybody out there in Pell's pod land, <laughs> there are no playoffs without Larry Nance Jr. and C.J. McCollum. There's no question about it. And Larry Nance, we saw what he could do. Again, he wasn't healthy. Right. Everybody forgot about him because when the trade was made, he missed six weeks because he was rehabbing. Mm-hmm. So when he came in, we saw what he was capable of doing. And this is a guy who's got 56 career double-doubles. People don't realize that. The mm-hmm. guy can play. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw how well he could play and how valuable he was to the team coming off the bench in that second line uh, against Phoenix because uh, the Suns had little answer for him. Yeah. Uh, and that's just another piece to the puzzle. <laughs> I'm telling you, and you were just to kind of finish up what you were talking about. It is going to be a hell of a training camp because playing time is going to be tough. Yes, sir. It's going to be tough to get on the court this year. Competition, competition going to bring out the best, going to bring out the best. Iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be difficult to get on the court. I mean, Willie Green wants to get it down to 10. We got got it down to 10. Mm -hmm. Now, there's 15 on the roster with two two two-way guys. Mm -hmm. So, And you got a draft pick coming in. You got a a, a lottery top 10 pick (laughs) coming in. Just saying. 
Um, training camp is going to be awesome to watch this year. It really right. is because just because of the competition. And it's like, again, it's not like you're bringing in a whole bunch of new guys. This is pretty much the same team. Right. So they're going to be going at it big time if they want to get out on the court. Because Willie Green's not going to put them on a the court if they don't deserve to be out there. Right. And if you've seen anything, again, you saw it with Trey, you saw it with Jax, you saw it with Jose. Right. They have to work, earn their spots, right? And no so, question. You know, it's it's healthy, and I think it's easy to say, right, there. to your point, there's going to be some intense battles. Everyone loves each other, but there's only so many minutes. And the ulti- goal. Yeah, and the ultimate goal is to win. I mean, getting in the playoffs was great, but first round, that's got to be right. the lowest mm-hmm. of the bar now. Yep. It's got to be the lowest of the bar. You know right. what it takes. Let's get after it. Let's get after it. I mean, with that being said, obviously the draft is coming up and free agency right. is coming up. Is there anything you've seen from – obviously you watched every game this season. Is there anything that you've seen that you're like, hey, the Pels need to add more of this or need this type of player with so much continuity already on the roster there? I, I just I, – I'm always going to go back to it. And if you listen to our broadcast night in and night out, I make my – I make – if it's John DeShazer or Daniel Salerson, I make them, I make them sick because <laughs> – it's just we, on a consistent basis, where it's such a disadvantage shooting the basketball from three-point land, night in and night out. It's really, it's a testament to the guys on the team to be able to win the games that we did, being really not even average from three-point land. Um, we were outscored by so much. Uh, when you sit on a night in and night out basis, when you see how many threes the opponents were making and how many threes we were making, right. you know, night in and night out. That being said, we were able to make up the deficit in other ways, getting to the free throw line, mm-hmm. points in the paint, Rebound. second chance, second mm-hmm. chance points. So if you get the three point shooting straight to where it's even at the league average because we weren't at the league average guys we were 27th mm-hmm. okay if you get even into the teens with what we can do getting to the line and getting to the rim i mean think about zion and what he's going to be able to do back with with points in the paint again and and the offensive rebounding which we're one of the best teams in the league uh one of the seventh in the league and getting to the free throw line because you've got a brandon ingram and a cj mccollum and Josh Hart when he was uh, on the team, obviously, but not afraid to drive it to the rim, get to the free throw line. So you add some more three-point shooting. Um, you add the three-point percentage. You know, is Devontae Graham going to shoot 33% next year? You would hope not. You know, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a 36-37 career three-point shooter. He just had a really tough year. So if the three-point shooting evolves at all, uh, with Zion coming in next year, it's it's scary. <laughs> no, I mean, it's really scary to think about because I think you've got all the other pieces in place, even, you know, in a length standpoint. I mean, we're a pretty long team mm-hmm. uh, if you think about it. And defensively, we were so much better in the second half of the season mm-hmm. than, than we were in the first half. So, you know, you put it all together and, and uh, you know, hopefully – you know, we're talking this time next year, and we're about to we're about to play Game Five, wherever it may be, in New Orleans or someplace east. Yeah. Right. 
Absolutely. And again, the, the types of shots that will be available with a guy like Zion, who my brother points to it, very got, rarely is he single covered. Like, you can't. Correct. Well, it's one thing to get the shots, but guys, you got to make the shots. Right. You know, the thing, I'm always going to go back to game two in Phoenix because that's the one. Now, you think about it. We made 17 threes in that game. That was the season high. I mean, how many times have you seen Dallas making 23 or 24? Right. You know, they're making 23s like. Like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. We had made 17. It was like we hit the mother load. And that was the game where we, we were talking all year. Like, wouldn't it be nice if we could just go out there one game and everything we put up went in? Like, <laughs> well, you think it in the fourth quarter against Phoenix mm-hmm. in game two, everything we put up went in. Mm-hmm. Make yep. or miss league, gentlemen. Yep. Make or miss league. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Graf. This has been so much fun. We have to do it again. Um, we'll be we'll be around summer league. I'm sure you'll be around the team. So um, the the new season's not that far away. No, it's right? not. It's not. No, it's right uh, around the corner. No, no. Yeah. Get, you know, drafts next week, then summer league, and then you know, guys will start filtering in really on a full time basis at the beginning of September, and then you know, end of September, you're talking about training camp, and then boom. I mean. We're it's going right? to happen. It's going to happen quickly. It will okay. happen quickly. Well, it's been a blessing to have you on again. Thank you so much uh, for joining you, us man. today. Um, Pels by list. Make sure you give Graf a follow. Make sure you're listening to the broadcast and, and everything like that. Garrett, what you got left for the people? As always, you never know what people are going through. So give somebody a smile today. Um, and thank you so much, Graffer. We really appreciate it. Uh, everybody follow us. Follow myself at Garrick underscore Rattler. Follow my brother at Raphael underscore Rattler. And follow us on Twitter at Pels Pie. Follow my man Graff at NT Graffinini on Twitter as well. And we'll see you guys next week. Yes, sir.